Hey, it's David, and welcome back to the Tobey's Classical Guitar Podcast. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. I wanted to give an update of where we're at with the podcast right now. This will be the only talk of the coronavirus throughout the episode. As you can imagine, I've had to cancel several interviews uh, for safety measures, but I really wanted to keep the show rolling during this time period because A... This is some of the most time a lot of listeners will have to be able to catch up on all their favorite podcasts. And B, I think it's really important to have breaks from the news sometimes and to enjoy the things that you're passionate about. So with that being said, I conducted my first virtual interview uh, yesterday, which went quite well with Isaac Bustos, a wonderful performer, teacher, and just a great person altogether. He's a tone-based artist. If you're feeling the quarantine blues, head on over to tonebase.co and sign up for a subscription using the promo code PODCAST-3 to be able to study with many of the greats, including Dr. Bustos. We had a great conversation, and uh, Isaac talked about current projects with the Texas Guitar Quartet, his teaching philosophies and new position at the University of Texas, San Antonio, along with the beautiful story behind his record Canciones a mi Madre. So I'm going to play a sample from this CD, uh, one of my favorite tunes. This is Piazzolla's Verano Porteño.
welcome everyone to the first virtual podcast interview for Tone Base. And thank you so much, Isaac, for being with us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, David. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's great to be in touch with you, even if virtually. Well, the last time I saw you, uh, we were at the Hamilton Guitar Festival, and you were performing with the Texas Guitar Quartet. So along with being a dedicated soloist, you're really uh, in-demand chamber uh, musician. How have things been with the quartet since then? It's been great. Um, you know, we... Uh, we've played quite a bit since then. Uh, actually, the most recent thing that we did that was a f uh, one of the highlights of the season, really, was um, we recorded and played a piece by Nico Muley for choir and guitar choir. And uh, we, so we got to collaborate with the Los Angeles Guitar Quartet. So it was fun to see those guys. And of course, with the Austin Guitar Quartet as well. Uh, in Conspiraria, which was the choir that was singing, um, uh, singing the tune with us. And uh, it was really, truly an amazing experience and um, very inspiring, I think, for everyone involved. Um, you know, just being around those great singers and those uh, other great players is, is, I mean, at least from my perspective, and I think we all kind of took that away from from the experience. It was just so inspiring, you know? And, yeah, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, it's it was fantastic. Was a recording made or were these just live performances? Uh, well, yeah, there were two live performances and yes, there was a recording, uh, which I think will come out next year. It's going to be on, on, on a major label, but I just can't remember which one. I, I want to say it was Delos, but I don't want to, you know, give out wrong information here, but uh, <laughs> But it was a fantastic production, and uh, you know when we went back and listened to the to the um, to the playback in you know in the in the booth, the recording studio. It was actually it was in a church, but there was this whole room dedicated as a sort of you know recording booth. It was magical to hear the sound of the guitar and how well it was being captured, and just the overall sort of ambiance of the recording, how beautiful it sounded, and how apt it was to. Um, to what the actual music was all about, you know, and uh, and so it was, it was it was fantastic, and I actually I'm excited to hear this 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 recording once it's mastered and everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited to hear yeah. that too. That sounds like quite an exciting project. So remind me the instrumentation. So it's three guitar quartets and choir. Correct. Uh, so it's. It was us. It was the TEXGQ, the Texas Guitar Quartet, the LAGQ, and the Austin Guitar Quartet. Um, there, there were three seven-string guitars, and wow. then you know, and with you um, with the LAGQ, TEXGQ, and Austin Guitar Quartet, we each each group had a seven-string because um, the the part actually called for low bass notes, but then all the other guitars were just standard six-string. Uh, and then it was for a mixed choir. So it was uh, male and female voices um, in, with Conspiraria. And how large was the choir? Oh, well, now you've, you're have you asking questions I don't remember. Uh, or maybe just kind of a general yeah, count. Generally, I want to say maybe oof, anywhere between 25 and 30. Uh, I might be wrong about that. It was not a large, large ensemble. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, um, it was powerful. It was beautiful. Uh, it was, you know, Conspirari is just such an inspiring group. And Craig Hella Johnson, who was the conductor, 
wow, what an inspiring person to be around. It really was just tremendous. Yeah, yeah. It, that must be one of the very few pieces of such instrumentation like that. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, yeah, I, for guitar quartets, for sure. It, it, you know, the, the way the parts were conceived, uh, it's scored for three quartet parts. So it's not like 12 guitars, but rather three individual quartet parts that are, you know, sort of interweaving together. Um, and, and literally like I, I felt of our, that our, our parts were creating a sort of like musical landscape, if you will, almost like a visual landscape of what the text was describing, Hmm. uh, in many ways. And so it was just, uh, I know I keep saying the same words, but it's, it was just magical. You know, it was really beautiful to be part of it. And, um, and to experience such high level music making, um, you know, with all those people being together, it was just so wonderful. Yeah. And I can only imagine how it's going to turn out because at least for my experience, when I go back into the booth, yeah, uh, whatever that booth may be, a lot of times I'm mm-hmm. just thinking very pessimistically and, oh, this is mm-hmm. bad and this wasn't right. But when you're happy with the sound in the booth mm-hmm. before edits and everything, it's got to be something special. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. That's exactly how I felt when I went into that booth, you know, because you're when you're in the thick of it, you know, all you it's and this is for all of us. And especially for those of you out there that have never done a recording when you're in the thick of it is sound. It feels sometimes not amazing. Right. Uh, feels terrible, actually, sometimes. It's but, tiring. Yeah. yeah. And but then when you go and you listen to the playback, that's when you really get to sort of experience that out of yourself. Right. Because it's, you know, even if it's you, you know, but especially in this collaborative environment, it was others. You get to really kind of just experience all of that outside of yourself. And it's it's, it was a wonderful um, moment, actually, if (laughs) deeply embedded in my in my memories of just sitting there and listening to this and being like, oh, it was funny because it was the take where I actually made a mistake, you know, and I was like. Oh God, that was a beautiful mistake. <laughs> um, uh, it was just so funny, you know. It's, um, but you know, if if you talk to some of the other people that were in that room, they'll agree. They were like, "Oh yeah, Isaac wasn't counting." You know, it's like <laughs> um, it was the best part of the recording. No. Yeah, and that's part of the process, you know. So, but yeah. it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. Really, it was fantastic. I I could only imagine. Uh, what the recording setup must have been like. Do you have a vague memory of what they were doing microphone-wise? Were they just micing up each quartet separately and then some room mics for the entire ensemble? Yeah, so I think the... I, I don't remember the brand names, of course, because I'm totally... I'm not very tech-savvy when it comes to that stuff. But all of us had a microphone. Uh, every single one of us. Um, and it was... I think the way that the recording was trying to be captured was as if it was... a a live recording okay. uh, of sorts, you know, so yeah. we weren't isolated in booths yeah, or anything yeah. like that. We were all together. And so the way that, if you can imagine the way that everything was being captured, it was being captured live, right? So we had microphones uh, over the, the ensemble, over the choir, uh, individual mics for every guitar. There were a lot of microphones. Let's put it, let's put it that way. <laughs> microphones and cables everywhere um yeah. but it was uh yeah 
yeah, it was it was fun. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I find it extraordinarily rare for isolation booths uh, mm-hmm. to work well in, in classical mm-hmm. recordings, unless if you are going for a very specific uh, timbral effect. Sure. And you know, I I've got some experience recording and mixing other styles of music and classical is just a whole nother ball game because oh, it's yeah. all about just capturing that moment in mm-hmm. the space and mm-hmm. really you know a lot of classical musicians will make a lot of edits as well don't get me wrong but i mm-hmm. find classical musicians really try to go for those bigger takes mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. just patch in what needs to be fixed after that right, and you definitely right. i'm sure that was the case uh, for this recording you definitely oh, get sure. a, a much more uh, kind of realistic and organic yeah. uh, recording altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was, it was a lot of work. You know, it was. Yeah, and I'm sure you've recorded it. You know, all of that, the way that you experience it, you know, in time, is exhausting. You know, but uh, oh yeah, yeah. But you know, as as you sit back and uh, you know, post, I guess post production, if you will you're like, you know, I'd love to do that again. You know, it's, it's that kind of, it's that kind of feeling like, again, when you're in the thick of it, it's just, (laughs) it's not that much fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And when you hear that extra reverb, some nice speakers, it's like, Ooh, that doesn't sound all that bad anymore. (laughs) Right. Yes. Guitarists. When in doubt, add more reverb. That's a, that's my mantra. When in doubt, (laughs) add more reverb. So David, we should add a lot of reverb to this conversation. No. Oh, it will be fantastic, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And any uh, other upcoming projects uh, later for the quartet? Or are you guys on a little, uh, well, I don't want to use the word hiatus, but yeah. a little break after such a project? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, we've done other things. Uh, you know, we um, we had a project uh, for this summer where we're going to uh, do a little bit of a tour of um, we do, do a tour of Mexico. Um, you know, I don't know what that's like right now. Um, mm-hmm. um, we're hoping that that will occur. It's, it was meant to be in July. Okay. Um, and so we're, we're hoping and crossing our fingers that everything will work out and that we will be able to go to the, on this tour. But for now, our last show was, what was our last show? Our last show was, uh, in February, I want to say, okay. uh, I can't remember, honestly. Um, but so, so we're in a, on a little bit of a hiatus right now. Um, just for the, just for the time being, I guess you could say, but, um, um, we, we're excited to resume in July. Yeah. And we're do you know gonna, what the tentative program is for the July tour? Uh, yeah. So we, uh, right now, one of our projects is we're, we're trying to do a, uh, finish rather not do but finish a recording of new quartet music um, okay and so we were planning uh, for the summer also right before the Mexico tour for and we're trying to do this every year we don't get to do it every year but it's it's a fun thing to do where we pick a spot and we go on a sort of uh, retreat uh, and we basically we you know we might rent out a place and stay there for a week. And it's basically the four of us, you know, practicing all day, then, you know, having some wine and some, you know, cooking some dinner or going out to dinner, you know, but it's a, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. We don't get to do it every, every summer, but we try. Uh, The first time we did it was when um, Jay Kaczerski first joined our group. 
Uh, okay. And we were about to actually go on a tour of China that year. Uh, so this was, I think, 2017. And uh, and Jay, of course, the hero he is, he had to learn a lot of music, yeah. leading, you know, leading to this tour. And so we had a retreat in the Florida Keys. Um, and uh, we, my, my sister owns a timeshare there. And so she let me have one of her weeks. Uh, and uh, well, we bought one of her weeks, I should say. And we went and uh, had the time of our lives there. Um, and, uh, just basically playing guitar and, you know, getting to know Jay and him getting to know how we work and, you know, it was, it was really, really fun. So yeah, we, we had time to basically go and have some seafood, you know, have a few drinks here and there, you know, and, uh, and just kind of experience the Island a bit. It was, it was fun. Um, and this year we were actually going to do it in Colorado. Um, we're going to go up to Boulder and mm. um, and have a retreat there I, right before this Mexico tour. Um, and it's because we were trying to do this recording project where we're doing a lot of new music. So I don't know how I got into this whole thing about the retreat, but that this was the segue, right? Which is uh, um, we were, we we're going to learn um, some of the new tunes that we want to first take out on the road for a little bit and then record. We've already recorded a few pieces. We were doing a piece by... Joseph Williams, who used to be in our quartet called Destroyer. Um, We're also doing a piece by Benoit Albert. Um, And I don't know if you know Benoit, but Benoit is is a duo partner with Randy Avers in the Jellyfish Brothers duo. Oh, okay. I like that name. uh, Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And they're really fun to watch. Great players, great people. Uh, And Benoit wrote this piece for us a long time ago. And so we're doing that. And then there's... Um, another piece that we're that we've been trying to learn for a while, but you know, with concerts and everything else that we're doing, it's been difficult. But there's this piece by Aureo Carreña Puerto, who um, has become a, a, a bit of a sensation from um, a piece that he wrote. Uh, I think, and I don't want, I don't remember if he wrote it for Sam Hines or for Jesus Serrano, but they were the ones who were first sort of championing this piece called Canción para ti. And, um, and it's become just this incredible hit. Everybody has been playing it. And about a month or so ago, maybe two months ago, David Russell recorded it on his channel. And, uh, so we, we were thrilled for Aureo. Aureo is a fun, lovable guy and, uh, is a talented composer. And so he wrote a piece called for us called, um, Tocata en salsa, so it's got it's filled with Latin rhythms and uh, and you know it's just a, a it's it's a lot of sixteen notes right uh, throughout. <laughs> it's really yeah. fun, and so that's another one of the pieces that we want to take on the road because we've been trying to learn it now for I think he wrote it for us last year, uh, last summer. He finished it, and uh, we haven't been able to play it yet just because you know we're all busy and it takes time for us living in different. Sp- you know, parts of Texas uh, to get together and to learn new music. And so the summers are usually a great time. Um, And so that's, you know, those pieces. And then our standard repertoire also, like, you know, we play Rossini, uh, Overture, the Barber of Seville, and we do, uh, uh, you know, it's funny, we we talk about this in the group about getting rid of this Beethoven Egmont, the Egmont Overture that I transcribed a little while ago. But God, everybody loves it, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so we keep playing it, man. It's it's hard to replace Beethoven, you know. 
Is it uh, to a point where you guys are just a little sick of that piece or or you're just worried you're playing too much of it? Well, let me put it to you this way. We've been playing that piece for 10 years. Wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, I never get sick of it. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's it, I think the problem with it is that it starts to get a little stale at, at points, you know, and it's. Um, and so the challenge in those types of pieces where you feel really comfortable is that you don't, um, you know, that you don't fall into the trap of sort of feeling too comfortable where you're just going through the motions, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. And that's why, I mean, it's so important to keep learning new things, you know? So we do try to include something new every year, even if it's just one, one piece. Um, but yeah, Beethoven is, is, is not just difficult to because of how great of a piece it is, but, uh, but people just love it. You know, yeah. people are pumped after we play it. They are just yeah, like absolutely. ready, you know, they're ready to hear more. And it's usually our last piece because it's, you know, it's so tragic in the beginning and then just so bombastic at the end, you know, it's, it really challenges us, all of us as players, you know, to make, those four guitars sound as orchestral as we can yeah, and make as much sound of, as we can. And so, yeah, so that's, that's the challenge. So we keep playing that. And, um, we also recorded a piece by Matt Dunn, um, called, um, uh, Cuba Libre, uh, which is based okay. on Cuban rhythms. And that's another piece that we're recording. Cool. Uh, and, uh, a, a new piece also by, well, it's not so new anymore, but it's a piece by Peter Lewin, who used to be a colleague of mine at Texas A&M, who wrote us a quartet, um, and it's called Tracks. And uh, it's also a toccata-like piece. It's very fun. And um, so, yeah, so there, there's a lot of new stuff that we're trying to sort of include. And are, are all of these new works eventually uh, going to be recorded or finished recorded for yeah. a single CD or is yes. it going to be a series? Right. So the new, the new pieces that we, that I just mentioned uh, outside of like, you know, the Rossini and the Beethoven and stuff like that, those are pieces that we're going to include in our new recording, which will okay. be all, all 21st century guitar quartets basically is our, and what's the know, title of this CD going to be? We don't know yet. You know, that usually comes later. Um, uh, because the, uh, the first two, remind me, it's red. red. Red is one of them. Red is the first one. Uh, uh-huh. And Icon is the second one. Yeah. Oh, I, I and, love those names. They're yeah. Cool. And so we're trying. We, well, we haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Finish the tracks first. Yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure something will come up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, and I'm also looking at your, um, now looking at your solo recordings. Uh, I, I'm really curious about this record, uh, Cancion. Is a mi madre, and mm-hmm. please forgive my horrible pronunciation. I mm-hmm. almost failed high school Spanish, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but was this recording uh, dedicated to your mother, or was there a story behind it? Yeah. So basically, you know, as I as you grow in the world of music, um, um, your your parents play a big role in. In your development, I think not just as a human being, but also as a musician, for sure, how much they support you or how much they don't, or you know, and uh, and my my mother was both my greatest supporter and also, I would say when I was younger, my biggest critic. You know, she hmm. uh, it, it was not unusual for her to say, "Oh, that was really nice," but 
but there was always a but coming up <laughs> and uh but she really sort of like helped me become the young musician i became uh, as yeah. a young child really and all of the tunes that i recorded in that in that album are both uh they're all latin american works uh and uh, there are also pieces that, as I was growing up, uh, playing music, that my mother loved. And so the title, Canciones a Mi Madre, Songs to My Mother, are, are pieces that she she really loved hearing when I was when I was young. Yeah. Um, when I was, you know, when I was a young player. So, yeah, so th- that's, that's the story behind the album, actually. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah, well, thanks. Program all together. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. uh, I'm looking at the, the track list as we speak. And mm-hmm. um, th- these are definitely tunes I know my mother uh, would exactly. love to hear as well. I, I, I've been played all these myself, but I, I totally agree with you. You know, mm-hmm. for so many musicians, we are so fortunate, you know, mm-hmm. to have had our, our parents be such an impact on mm-hmm. the development. And, and, you know, sometimes, especially when you're, when you're growing up, you just need someone to tell you, well, maybe not on that part, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. uh, and it's all about finding that balance, but it sounds like, uh, there, there was a wonderful right. balance in chemistry in regards to your music making and your mother. It's, uh, she, she must be very proud of that record. Well, I, I hope so. And, um, I know she was thrilled beyond belief when I, when I present, I, you know, I, she had no idea that I was going to name the record that, yeah, and yeah. she had no idea of anything really, uh, other than the tunes that were in it. And she's like, Oh, I love that tune. I'm like, yeah, I know. She's like, Oh, I love that tune. I'm like, I know. And, uh, uh, so it was a beautiful moment. Actually. I, you know, she lives in Florida. And so my sisters agreed. She, they knew the whole time yeah. to actually film the moment where she opened the first disc. Wow. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was a beautiful moment. Let's put it and that way. The, the CD cover, is that a painting of your mother? So it's, it is not, but it is, it, uh, what is it called? Uh, it is inspired by a photo that I sent. Um, the record producer also happens to be a very talented graphic designer. Oh, okay, and, cool. And uh, so the, the face and some of the facial features of the woman that you see uh, on the on the cover are actually inspired by my mother's facial features. Clearly, my mother did, was not going to go on a on a CD cover, uh, you know, uh, especially by surprise. She would exactly. <laughs> she would neither agree nor be happy about that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So, but we wanted to, you know, at least from my perspective, um, I wanted her to know that it wasn't just a sort of quote unquote title, but that it was really for her and and about her. It's amazing. That's that's also one of the most beautiful and meaningful recordings I've heard about. I can't wait to listen to it after this conversation. Uh, Because it's so easy. We've talked about this with some other guests on Mm -hmm. the show. It's so easy to fall into this trap of titling a CD guitar recital and just having random repertoire that's just all over the place with no contour or meaning behind the choices. So it's uh, I'm always... Very pleased to see a strong programmatic approach, but especially here. Wow. Yeah. So extremely well, always, meaningful. I, you know, as I've grown older um, and as a musician and as an, I guess, an artist, um, I really, I'm always trying to find a connection with what I do, with our humanity in any kind of way. Um, 
because I think the, the way that we all experience music um, is, is really a reflection of, of who we are as people, um, both how we make music, of course, but also how we experience it. Um, and it, it is inevitable to make, you know, that, that music is going to make a connection with other people. One of the things that I, I always talk about when I'm introducing, for example, the Beethoven piece that we play, of course, I say that there's no Beethoven for guitar, really, but or guitar quartet even. And so I, I'm always I'm always talking about how universal his music is, because um, I think a lot of the anguish, but also his sort of like enthusiasm for humanity that he had is deeply embedded in all of the music that he wrote you know, the, the, the pain and suffering, the sort of like, you know, the cliche sort of like um, unrequited love and all of that stuff that was a big part of his life is what actually connects people in his music or makes a connection with people uh, in, uh, in his works. So that, that that's, and, and I think, you know, we were talking about how pumped people are when they listen to that, to that piece. And it's because you know, someone like Beethoven had like the ability to take you on this like wild and violent sometimes even, right? Uh, sort of ride this musical journey, you know? And I think the Egmont is a big, it's a, uh, it's why it's so successful when we play it, you know, because, um, because it, it's like the only thing I think, the only piece in our program that, that does that very effectively, you know, uh, it just kind of grabs you by the shirt and you're like helpless <laughs> in yeah. many ways, you know, you're just going where he takes you, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm happy. Oh gosh. You know, like this is painful. This is traumatic. And then it's just like this big bombastic, like optimism at the end. It's like, you know, it's, I mean, imagine, I mean, that's, I mean, just talking about it is kind of like, wow, that's exhausting. You know, it's like, yeah, and you, yeah. you're kind of experiencing all these things in the span of eight minutes, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. a journey. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I agree with you that, you know, a lot of times as musicians, I think we get caught up in, in what I like to tell my students, the, the plucky plucky of what we do. The plucky right? plucky. Yes. <laughs> I need a sound effect for that yeah. one. <laughs> Uh, that we forget that as artists, our job is to communicate and, and, and connect with people and connect other people through what we're doing. That's what's important to me now, you know, as a, as a, as a human being, as a person who just happens to play guitar and, uh, yeah. you know, and, and make a living doing it, um, is that idea of connection and community. And at the end of the day, if you don't have it, it's just notes that are meaningless. Exactly. You know, I, I don't right. mean to be a bit too blunt about that. But when I think about all the repertoire that I really connect with uh, on a musical level, whether it's repertoire I play or repertoire I enjoy listening to, it's the music that has a strong emotional impact and mm -hmm. takes you through, not to sound corny, but this musical journey mm -hmm. uh, that we keep talking about. Mm-hmm. You put it into such eloquent words. It's something I always have trouble uh, putting into my own words. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the beautiful things about music is it's almost impossible mm -hmm. to really describe it 
uh, perfectly and mm-hmm. not to get too philosophical now, but mm-hmm. it cracks me up and myself included when people ask you the question, what is music? Right. I mean, how do you answer that question? Yes, yeah. you could go on to Oxford Dictionary and see what their sure. definition of is, but there's just so many emotional dimensions to it. And yeah. I, I think uh, you're putting those in the, as the most important part and aspect to music making, Absolutely. which I think is yeah. needed for all musicians yeah. in order to be successful. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, what is music was one of the questions I would ask. Uh, I had a, I was teaching a, a music appreciation class um, mm-hmm. and I would ask them what music was. And so we would, you know, my, my, my technique was sort of, sort of like just ask the question and give them like, you know, I don't know, three, four minutes to write an answer. Yeah. And then I would collect all the answers and uh, not by collecting their notes, but by basically having them define, give a definition of that. And, you know, and a lot of them, even it was an, obviously a music appreciation class for non-majors, uh, purpose, intention was a word that came up a lot. Purpose and intention hmm. uh, and meaning. Uh, and of course, there were, you know, the the sort of like uh, sort of cliche answers about what music is, you know, like beautiful sounds and, you know, but then we would get into discussions about what beauty is. It's like, what is beautiful? We can have another sort of like define beautiful kind of thing, you know. And so one of the things that I would try to get them to understand in, in that whole uh, exercise was uh, it's like what I said before, that we all experience music, right? But how we experience is, is a reflection of who we are. Um, and even if you like, if you think about the way people react to certain types of music, it's actually, it's a very human way of being, um, because a lot of people react to music that they don't know anything about the way that they react to people they don't know anything about. Um, you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's very interesting. And so through music, sometimes I would try to just explain to them that, you know, you're learning things about yourself, the way you're experiencing this piece, for example the way you're experiencing that sound. Because, I mean, even sounds, I mean, we're so ethnocentric about what a, what a beautiful sound is, especially think about classical guitarists. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, all we think about is our sound and how it can be beautiful. But what is, yeah. you know, what is beautiful for a, one guitarist is not the same for another, you know. Um, and so it's it's fascinating so that that the idea of purpose right so like it kind of made me even as i was teaching this class even think about what my purpose is as a musician you know like is it just for me to go on stage and be like hey i make money making music or is there you know a larger meaning to the idea of that you're actually doing something you know as as part of a of a you know of a citizen of a human being that is yeah that is affecting others, not just emotionally, but I don't know, maybe even intellectually at some point, in some way, you know. There could be so much more to yeah. music besides the check at the end of the day. Exactly. exactly. I, I, I'm a bit lost for words. I think I should just shut up because that was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. No, but I mean, you know, uh, David, really, that is just like comes with age, you know, I think. Because, like, you know, after a while you've been doing, I mean, I've been doing this for, God, I don't even want to say, 34 years, which is 
for me, it's a long time. Obviously, it's perspective. Obviously, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, I know that you've interviewed Pepper Romero. Can you imagine how long he's been doing it? You know, how and, old is he? Just uh, subtract two. Gosh, from that. you know, <laughs> yes. And uh, it's so it's uh, you know, and I know that just from hearing him talk, and you know, he's been a huge inspiration for me. But you know, and a lot of times when you see him in classes and teaching and you know, he's always talking in this sort of like metaphorical ways of, to think about music. And and yeah. it, it, if you find, if you think about it, he's kind of doing that as well. Making connections with music to other things, you know, nature, uh, history, um, culture. I mean, he talks about that all the time in all of his teaching. Absolutely. And so in some ways, he's really kind of teaching you even if he's not like directly teaching you how to pluck a note, you know, it's like he's trying to help you think from my perspective anyways, you know, a lot of people complain about the fact that some teachers do that kind of teaching. But I think in many ways, he's not only just awakening some sort of type of creativity in you where like, if you think of a concept right in your mind, how are you going to reproduce that through your hands, you know, in a, in a string, how much pressure are you going to use to, you know, to represent love, right? For example, if that's what you're, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. some abstract idea, you know, and that's what he does when he talks that way, you know, and people don't want to think about it that way because it's too hard, you know, it's like, but no, but that's essentially what I think in many respects is what he does in, in, in a lot of his teaching. You know, I remember the first time I played for him, he he asked me to read Don Quixote because I was playing uh, Rodrigo for him. And he told me Don Quixote was, you know, was um, uh, was one of the big inspirations for Joaquin Rodrigo in his life, one of his favorite books. Hmm. And um, and so he was telling me a story in the Pasacalia of, you know, of these moments of like what Don Quixote would have, you know, his little moments of madness you know, and, um, and it basically, he, he, he sort of like made the parallel to imagination and this and that. And so I started thinking about that while he was telling me this and I was like, okay, well maybe all these magical characters he's talking about could be represented through color, you know, or it, maybe it's the dynamics that I choose that will, you know, like sort of communicate those ideas. I mean, so then you start thinking about like beyond just the technique and beyond you're thinking about ideas, you know, it's like you're thinking about concepts that can help your hands be better communicators. If that's, if that yeah. makes any sense. And that's why I love, that's why I love him. That's why I love watching him teach, you know, cause it's like, Oh, I know what you're doing. I know what you're saying. I know what you're trying to do here. You know, obviously that doesn't work for every student, but, um, but it's, but it's very inspiring for, you know, at least for me and as yeah. a, also as an educator now too, to, to watch somebody, to watch someone do that as, as effectively as he does. So after speaking of some of your teaching philosophies and approaches, I'd love to ask you about. Uh, your new position at University of Texas at San Antonio. You just started that this past fall. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, gosh, it's been so exciting to be there. Um, you know, I, I, I worked at Texas A&M for 15, 14, 15 years. 
Um, and uh, making the, the switch was a big leap of faith. Um, it really was. And But I was really excited because I had worked with the students that I was inheriting in the program uh, from Dr. Matthew Dunn, who was there for a, a, a large number of years. Uh, and I just loved working with those students, even, you know, in a masterclass setting. I think I had a class with them in February. So when the job came up, um, it was just like, oh, wow, this this is great. What a tremendous opportunity. And so I applied. You know, I was very fortunate. I got the job. And um, just, you know, I was living in Houston. Um, and we talked about this briefly earlier, but uh, you and I, but but um, I mean, I was commuting from Houston to San Antonio, which is about a three-hour commute. Yeah. Uh, I was going there Monday through Wednesday. I would stay. Uh, I would stay overnight for Monday and Tuesday, and then drive back on on Wednesday evening. And I was, you know, that was very tiring to do it for the whole fall. Um, and but man, I tell you, I would come home from work so happy. Uh, just to be able to work and well teach guitar again and and be able to work with those students who are just so inspiring to be around you know they're they're tremendous uh, and so I was very lucky really to to kind of walk into that type of situation and uh, and and be able to you know to foster um, the talent that those students already already had and uh, and just to continue on on that on that trajectory. But one of the, yeah. you know, I remember the first convocation that we had in the fall as we were all coming back from school from the summer. And it and I thought it was just like the guitar studio. You know, these kids are pumped. These kids are all awesome. But then I went to that convocation, which was a, a, a school-wide, you know, a, a department-wide uh, meeting with our department chair and the, the, the faculty and all the students. And... The best way I can describe that meeting was just absolutely electrifying. The students yeah. are pumped and they're so pumped to be there. And I remember just sitting there thinking like, wow, this is like, I almost wanted to pinch myself in some ways. Cause I was like, this is just incredible. You know, like it, it, it obviously it speaks to the teaching that's happening there, but it also speaks, you know, going back to about, we were talking about music, like the, the way that music has created a community in that department uh, is really is, 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 is fascinating. It's fantastic. It's really inspiring. Just two weeks ago, we had our very first uh, Southwest Guitar Symposium. Uh, All right. And one of the things that I wanted them to, to experience as students was, one, how, how the whole, you know, uh, symposium uh, – or like the idea of the guitar festival, how it works, what what happens, you know, but also get to play and have the ability to be part of it, you know, and uh, and have some ownership in 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 the, the 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 community that they're in, you know. So it's not just something like that they see their teacher, oh, their teacher played or whatever. No, they got to play. They were part of a large ensemble, uh, and they got to perform. Uh, they got to perform with me. We did a piece uh and uh together and and it was just it was it was terrific um i was really thrilled that they got to experience that i was uh really happy to be able to provide those opportunities you know i i think one of one of the most important aspects of my education i feel like is in terms of my my own teachers was not only how well they instructed me in the in the classroom 
um, and, 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 and how careful they were into, you know, how much care they, they had into my own sort of development, but what kind of opportunities um, they presented. And I'm really thankful for all of my teachers because I think every single one of them in some way, shape or form created opportunities for me. Now it was up to me to grab the opportunity. It was up to me to make sure that I didn't, you know, screw that up, but they were willing to extend an opportunity to me and, and present it. And I think I said this in another interview, which was, I never had an opportunity present itself in front of me that I didn't take. Not once. I never said yeah. no to an opportunity. Even if I didn't like it, even if I was scared to do it, I did it. Um, and so I, I always want my students to be courageous. And I know that playing, getting on stage is a, well, as you know, takes courage. And um, so part of that whole experience of being in the symposium and, and doing all of that and having the play was for them to also learn that they too can be courageous and, you know, and uh, it doesn't matter what stage or who's in the audience or anything. You just get up there and do it. Yeah. That's, that's your job. You never know where that gig may lead you to. Exactly. Thank you, Isaac, for being on the show. Please join me in two weeks for a conversation with yet another great guitarist. I'm going to leave things with the Texas Guitar Quartet's beautiful recording of Beethoven's Egmont Overture. I'm David Steinhardt. We'll see you next time for the Tobe's Classical Guitar Podcast. Thank you.